Uh, hopefully that is enough time for you to open it up. Before we uh, read, I will lead us in prayer, asking God to help us understand his word. So please pray with me. O Lord God, make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip and conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. All right, Proverbs chapter 19, starting at verse 10. It is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury. How much worse for a slave to rule over princes? A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. A king's rage is like the roar of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. A foolish child is a father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like the constant dripping of a leaky roof. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless go hungry. Whoever keeps commandments keeps their life, but whoever shows contempt for their ways will die. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be, willing to part, do not be a willing party to their death. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them, and you will have to do it again. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. Many are the plans of a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. What a person desires is unfailing love, better to be poor than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish, he will not even bring it back to his mouth. Flog a mocker and the simple will learn prudence. Rebuke the discerning and they will gain knowledge. Whoever robs their father and drives out their mother is a child who brings shame and disgrace. Stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A corrupt witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked gulps down evil. Penalties are prepared for mockers and beatings for the backs of fools. Our second reading is from Colossians chapter 3, starting from verse 12. starting from verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive each other, one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful that the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with, with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit yourself to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. 
Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Thank you so much, Sarah, for reading for us. Hello, everyone. It's really good to be with you again uh, for our guests. Uh, my name is Wal. I'm Senior Minister here at NCA Church, it's good to be with you uh, tackling another important theme in the book of Proverbs. As Foxy said, uh, we're thinking about the topic of family wisdom, wisdom for husbands and wives, wisdom for parents and children. Uh, I'm really conscious, though, that we come to this topic from many unique circumstances. Uh, some of us are married, and many of us are not. Uh, many of us may marry at some point, uh, for a number of reasons, some of us perhaps won't. Uh, some of us will have experienced broken marriage or remarriage. Uh, some of us have children, many of us don't yet. Those of us who have children have children at quite an array of ages and stages and some of us are here tonight with our children as part of this same congregation uh, all of us have been or still are children, uh, though many of us are now working that out as adults or as nearly adults. And all of these variations are really just to do with kind of circumstance and situation. I haven't said anything yet about the incredible variety of ways that we may all feel emotionally and, and mentally and spiritually about these important family relationships. And you put all of that together and perhaps our instinct is that we really should just skip tonight's topic and head for higher ground on something else. But we're not going to do that because this topic is just far too important. Uh, not least of all because in places like Australia, we will know that the institution of family is in reasonably serious trouble, having come under sustained attack since the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s. And God's word is here to give us the help that we need. Family is a major topic in the book of Proverbs, as it is through the whole Bible. It's one of the clearest places where wisdom or folly will be displayed, will be on show. And that's not just for us individually, it's also corporately. Because family is not just private and personal, it is open and public. Uh, family is the basic building block of human community. Where family and marriage are in decline, the common good of society is greatly imperiled. And that is not just some quaint Christian view on things. There's a magazine called The Atlantic that I read every now and then. And in 2018, they introduced a whole new section of articles devoted to the topic of family. This is the way they explained their decision. 
When The Atlantic's founders created this magazine 161 years ago, the American family was not top of mind. The Atlantic, they wrote, would be devoted to literature, art and politics. Soon enough, though, the editors came to understand that the well-being of a nation, its culture and its economy, was tied up with the health and vitality of its families. To which I think Solomon in Proverbs would say a hearty amen. Uh, Fox reminded us last week that the book of Proverbs is not so much a self-help book as a kingdom help book. This is a book that builds and forms community. A very particular type of community which is grounded in the fear of the Lord which is the beginning of wisdom and is characterised by the love and faithfulness it is received first of all from God. And so we will grow stronger as a church, as our families grow in wisdom. Husbands and wives, parents and children. And that's something that all of us have a stake in, no matter what our own station in life is tonight. Uh, As we hear God's word, you might think, well, I'm not in one of these situations. This is not really for me. But no, you might have a brother or sister sitting next to you or at Bible study during the week who is married and part of your ministry to them will be to help them grow and to support them and pray for them and so all of us need to know what God's word says on these important topics. Now you can see in your outline we're looking at both relationships and uh, as you read through the proverbs that cover these relationships uh, there are some which are just wonderfully positive and there are some warnings along the way and we're going to start with the positive view on marriage. Chapter 18, verse 22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favour from the Lord. Uh, It almost feels like a bit of a comment on Genesis 2, where God made the first man and planted him in the Garden of Eden and then declared, hang on, this is something which is not good for the man to be alone. That's not good. And so he took from the man and he formed the woman to complement and complete him. Uh, He's gloriously equal but wonderfully distinct partner Uh, for which reason a man takes the initiative to leave his father and mother and to cling to his wife and so right from the beginning marriage between one man and one woman is established as one of God's good and gracious gifts for humanity Uh, it's the basis of family it's the proper context for the raising of children it's for the good order of society and it's for human flourishing and therefore of course chapter 18 Verse 22, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favour from the Lord. Clearly, the sense is he who finds a good wife finds what is good. He who finds a wise wife, a prudent wife, a godly and disciplined wife. Uh, In the first place, I think this does mean a fellow believer, someone who is striving to live in the same fear of the Lord that we are striving to live with. Uh, There are a number of different reasons why a believer may end up married to an unbeliever. But even with an unbelieving spouse who excels in consideration and kindness, I think almost everyone I know who is in such a situation will testify to how challenging it can be. 
Uh, it is just difficult to build a marriage together with a person who does not share the same first commitment as you do. Now, does it matter that this proverb is so male-oriented? Uh, in other words, does it matter that it says, he who finds a wife and not she who finds a husband? Are we free just to generalise this out so that it really is just talking about anyone who finds a spouse? Well, in the first place, it's good for us just to slow down and remember the setting of this book of Proverbs, which is Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel, teaching his son the way of wisdom. This is a father, and sometimes a father and mother together, teaching their son how to live rightly in God's world for his success and joy, and increasingly reflecting God's character and ways. And so, of course, it talks about he who finds a wife rather than she who finds a husband because that's really the only instruction that makes sense given the setting of the book and the biblical understanding of marriage. Uh, when it comes to our freedom to generalise out a proverb, though, so that whatever it says of a husband and his wife is equally true of a woman and her husband, I think that probably needs to be worked out on a case-by-case -case basis. Because although there are some aspects of marriage which are basically the same for both husbands and wives, we also know that there are other things taught in the Bible which are particular to husbands and particular to wives, and in an ideal world, they will be neither exchanged nor erased. But I think Proverbs 18.22 does work pretty well for both husbands and wives, because really what this verse is pointing to is the goodness of God's gift. He who finds a wife finds what is good. And then God's generosity in giving it. He finds favour from the Lord. And I think those two truths work for husbands and their wives just as much for wives and their husbands. A wise and godly husband is a great gift from the Lord. A wise and godly wife is a great gift from the Lord. And if any of us has experienced this, we ought to give God such humble thanks and praise for his kind provision to us. Not in a way that discourages our unmarried brothers and sisters here at church, not in a way that fails to recognise the goodness of singleness as a freely chosen way to express our devotion to the kingdom of God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. But still in appropriate ways, those of us who can see how God has provided for us a wise and godly husband or wife ought to give God thanks and praise. And certainly we ought to express our delight regularly to the husband or wife God has given us so that they too would know just how greatly they are treasured. Well, there's the positive view on husbands and wives. What about the warning? Uh, chapter 21, verse 9. Better to live on a corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. And here's an example, I think, of where the male orientation of the Proverbs does get a little bit uncomfortable for us. Um, why is the warning only about the troublesome wife and not the troublesome husband? Let me say as clearly as I can, 
it's not because the Bible was written from such a position of male privilege that it somehow imagines that problems in marriage come only from wives and never from husbands. Now, as far as I can judge it, the Bible as a whole speaks far more regularly with far greater frequency about the challenges and the threats and the difficulties faced by wives on account of their husbands than it does the other way around. Perhaps because of male laziness or because of male spiritual immaturity or because of male sexual unfaithfulness or because of the abuse of male power and authority or the misuse of male strength. And in a different talk, on a different day, we could talk about all of those things. But tonight, we're in Proverbs. And remember, the setting of Proverbs is a father, and sometimes a father and mother together, teaching their son the way of wisdom and how to avoid the path of folly. And so just as it was right for him to be taught about the blessings of finding a godly and wise wife, so it is also right for him to be warned against the foolishness and the trouble of a quarrelsome wife. It's a very provocative image, isn't it, in this proverb? A home is meant to be a place of safety and comfort. Uh, it's a place we all return to after a long day of work and activity. It's a place where we rightly expect to find the good but for the man with a quarrelsome wife, a contentious wife, a wife who is always finding fault in her husband and constantly picking at things, well, for that man, the home is no place of refuge at all. In fact, it would be better for him to head outside and to endure the loneliness and the discomfort and all the exposure to the elements that comes from purchasing a spot on the corner of his roof than to share this house. At its best, um, the Bible's picture of godly marriage is a beautiful, wonderful thing. At its very best, we know from passages in the New Testament, it's something that points to the sacrificial husbandly love and the submitting wifely honour that exists between Christ and his church. But this marriage, which is described in chapter 21, verse 9, has well and truly departed from the pattern that God envisaged. And so... Instead of being a blessing, it's a burden. And instead of leading to a life of love and laughter, it brings only tension and toil and trouble. Now, for many of us who may face the opportunity for marriage at some stage in the future, this is an important thing to consider. Uh, the promises of marriage are, till death do us part. But they are not till death do us part until the promises of marriage. Uh, up until that point is a time of freedom. And so if you're going out with someone and you're trying to work out whether or not marriage is a good thing that you should move towards, it's important to consider whether or not there are repeat challenge areas that just keep coming up again and again, which you wish were different about the person you're considering marrying. Don't go into marriage thinking that, well, here's my list of all the ways I'm going to change this person once we're married. Uh, the things you find difficult now 
will probably still be there in the future. And so if there's an issue that you find yourself continually trying to correct, wisdom says that is something that needs very careful consideration. But what if we are already married and we find this happening? Uh, Doubtless the first step is to be clear-eyed about the fact that the marriage is suffering and that will be something to which inevitably both a husband and wife are contributing. Uh, Therefore, to deal with that is going to call for a lot of careful and gentle, honest, maybe even at times painful communication. Most likely it will call for some humble repentance, maybe even a great deal of repentance. It will probably need the support and help of others, maybe a professional marriage counsellor. Certainly, brothers and sisters here in Christ at this church, people who can listen to you and pray with you and who can point you to God and to his word, who can help you work out what does love and faithfulness look like in your particular situation. It's very important to say, though, that the solution to the problem of Proverbs 21, verse 9, is not simply for wives to stop quarrelling, to stop finding fault. No, for those of us who are husbands, perhaps the far more important thing to do is stop and ask, are there things I'm doing or not doing which mean my wife is constantly quarrelling with me, repeatedly finding fault over and over on the same issues. Uh, One of the most thought-provoking things I read in preparation for today was an article called The Marriage Lesson That I Learned Too Late. Uh, The writer talks about how the things which can destroy love and marriage often uh, um, uh, disguise themselves as unimportant. He writes this, I spent most of my life believing that what ended marriages were behaviours I classify as uh, major marriage crimes. Sexual affairs, physical spousal abuse, gambling away the family savings. The reason my marriage fell apart seems absurd when I describe it. My wife left me because sometimes I leave dishes by the sink. We didn't go down in a fiery explosion. We bled out from 10,000 paper cuts. the marriage lesson he learned too late was that him leaving dishes by the sink and not listening to his wife's many requests for him to put them in the dishwasher was ultimately for her about his lack of consideration and the pervasive sense that she was married to someone who did not respect or appreciate her. Uh, In his own words, what he learned was that something as benign and meaningless as a dirty glass could actually be a meaningful act of love and sacrifice. And so, to the husbands among us, let me exhort you, make a time this week to ask your wife this question. Are there things I do or don't do which you feel like you are constantly having to raise with me. Uh, That may not feel like a very safe question to ask. Uh, You may feel a little bit vulnerable as you ask it. I felt a bit vulnerable when I asked Sarah during the week. 
I figured if I'm going to exhort husbands to ask this question, I've got to try it myself first. I won't share the results with you. (laughs) But I think it's a good question to ask. And I think it's a question that will help build our marriages. And to the wives among us, if we ask, please tell us how we can grow. Please let us know how the things we do are impacting you. But also tell us gently, with love and faithfulness. Because we are not as strong as we sometimes make ourselves out to be. Well, there are two proverbs on husbands and wives. What about parents and children? What does Proverbs say about this relationship? Uh, This time we'll flip it. We'll start with the warning, uh, 17.25. A foolish son brings grief to his father and bitterness to the mother who bore him. Uh, As we think back to Proverbs 1 to 9, and we remember how carefully and how urgently Solomon has tried to train his son in the way of wisdom, just how... Uh, categorically he's tried to lay out the the two outcomes of these ways of life wisdom and folly of course this this is what it will be like for a father if his son chooses folly over wisdom it will provoke him it will vex him it will be grievous to him to see his son squander all his precious teaching and perhaps we might think of Genesis 6 where The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become and he was grieved that he had made human beings on the earth. But of course, mothers carry this burden of grief as well. The foolish son who forsakes her teaching causes great bitterness, enormous pain. Just as we saw in Proverbs 21, there's a picture here of family life that is far from God's design. Uh, Children are supposed to listen to their parents. And I'm thinking here especially of that whole period in life before children have grown into independent adults. Uh, What this all looks like as young adults is another conversation. You might take that up with each other over dinner after you've talked about the Women's Day. But children are supposed to heed their parents' instruction. And parents are to teach their children, uh, bringing them up in the fear of the Lord. There's both positive and negative aspects to this teaching. Positively, there's that way of wisdom to teach and and negatively, there's the way of folly to warn against. And and scripture itself does both these positive and negative things to everyone who reads it. Uh, Teaching, correcting, rebuking and training in righteousness so that all of us might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. But when family life doesn't unfold like this, it is damaging for everyone. It's not just a problem for the foolish son or the foolish daughter. It's also an enormous grief to their parents. And some of us here tonight have seen our children grow up and we know the kind of bitterness and grief of which Solomon speaks. For others of us, this may be a burden that we face in the future. What to do if we think that's us? Well, to start, we do what the book of Proverbs calls us everywhere to do, which is to come before the Lord with humble hearts and with reverent fear. To throw ourselves again on his love and faithfulness, to admit our failures, to ask for his help, to seek his mercy both on ourselves and our children. 
and then we strive with God's help to pick up wherever we left off in the training of our children. Because is it ever too late to speak to our children the life-giving words of the gospel? Never. Not in the love and faithfulness of God. And, and what a joyful outcome is set before us when God uses our efforts to train our children and produces in them the wisdom we've sought to impart. Do you see those last two Proverbs on the outline? In chapter 23, the father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. Uh, as we see elsewhere in Proverbs, the home is not just a place for biological relationships to be expressed. Uh, it is also the place where spirituality is formed and developed and nurtured. In fact, for many of us, the raising of children will be the most significant area of our lives, the most significant activity by which we obey Jesus' command to make disciples people who will trust and serve and love and obey the Lord Jesus. And ultimately, that is for the sake of his glory and honour, that he might receive the worship he is properly due. It is also, of course, for the sake of our children, that they might grow up into the eternal life that God offers through Christ. But it's a great joy for parents to see a son or daughter become wise in the gospel. Because if we ourselves have come to understand the gospel of God's grace, nothing will give us greater joy than to see our children or our grandchildren. Or if we broaden it out a little bit, our nieces and nephews, our godchildren if we are godparents. If we broaden it out even further, all the children and youth of our church that God has given to us. Nothing will give us greater joy than to see them choosing the path of wisdom, following the Lord Jesus in repentance and faith, living rightly in this world among the people of God, increasingly reflecting God's character and ways. Well, uh, we're nearly done. Let me try and bring this to a close. Uh, I'm conscious this has perhaps felt like a heavy talk uh, on very personal matters. And so as we finish, it, it's just good to lift our eyes and again focus very plainly on the Lord Jesus and consider him through the lens of our topics tonight. Have you done that yet as I've been speaking? Think about marriage. I mean, humanly speaking, he was unmarried. And yet spiritually, his wife is the church of God whom he loved and for whom he gave himself up to make her holy, uh, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without wrinkle or blemish or stain, but holy and blameless. And none of us deserves to be part of this bride of Christ. But such is the love and faithfulness of God that he calls us to be part of this church, bought with the blood of Christ. Consider parents and children. Humanly speaking, he had no descendants. But he is a son who greatly pleased his own father. In fact, in the Gospels, there are two occasions where God the Father speaks publicly about his son from heaven. 
And as he does so, he uses the language of joy and delight. So first of all, at Jesus' baptism, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And then again at the transfiguration, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. In fact, of course, God's delight in his son was so great that he was pleased to bring about salvation through him. Which is simply another reminder that for us now, this wisdom that was collected by Solomon, son of David, bends unavoidably through the son of David who was wiser than Solomon. The Lord Jesus Christ. He had no descendants but he has many brothers and sisters. And we do not deserve to be part of this family. But such is the love and faithfulness of God that he calls us in to be dearly loved children in the family of God. So let me lead us in prayer. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the book of Proverbs and for all of the wisdom that was collected by Solomon. But we thank you that that now bends unavoidably through the one even greater and even wiser, the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you that as we follow him, we become wise for salvation and wise for life. And so we pray that you would do in each of us this work. And we pray that in each of our families, you might help us to express the wisdom of the gospel in all of our ways. Children of God, we're going to sing to our Father now.